0: He knows it's coming, but he does it anyways because that's what being an adult is about. Knowing <laughs>
1: <laughs> Hi and welcome to episode of Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And here on Sonation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories within them. And welcome to part four of our series on Christmas films. Today I am joined by Amy Tip Madrid. Amy, welcome back.
0: Hi, thanks for having me back. I'm so excited to be here.
1: Talking about a kid who's left home alone. It's going to be... It's going to be great. (laughs) It's going to be great. Um, Yeah, but before we dive into today's movie, uh, just want to give a quick reminder, as I've been saying on these last few episodes, Cine Nation podcast is getting close to our 200th episode coming out in February, and we need your help putting it together. Thomas and I will be sitting down to answer questions from our listeners, but we need questions. So if you have a question for Thomas or me about the history of the show, movies we covered. Pretty much anything entertainment-wise, we'll do our best to answer it. Uh, you can submit your question through our social media channels like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can almost e- also email us at CineNationPodcast at gmail.com. And finally, if you want to hear your voice in the show, you can give us a call at 818-514-5714 and leave us a voicemail with your question. Again, the number is 818-514-5714. All right. That's out of the way. Uh, as we've said, we've been talking about Christmas movies this month, and... There's a lot of different types of Christmas films. Last year we talked about Christmas adjacent films like Batman Returns and the works of Shane Black, and this year we've been more focused on movies that try to capture the true spirit of Christmas, as they say. And so we've covered a lot more traditional Christmas movies like It's Wonderful Life, White Christmas, and a lot of these films we've discussed have been more introspective about one's life or about passing on the spirit of Christmas to others, others like Goodwill Towards Men, Peace on Earth, all that stuff, and. We talked a lot about how this genre spurs from Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, um, which we talked about last week with Sean on The Mother Christmas Carol. And another thing we talked about is about how a lot of these movies make you think about who you want to spend your holidays with. And the holiday is a time where you want to be around family or your friends, the friends who you consider family. And today's movie is basically about the idea, but it's about oh, yes. what if that family was away for the holiday, the, the most important kind of holiday for a family so that's what we're discussing today as we said the movie we're talking about is the 1990 film home alone which stars mccullough Culkin as kevin McAllister, a young boy who has actually left home alone over the christmas holiday as his family has flown to paris to enjoy their holidays
0: must be nice must be nice yeah, to go to france to go to france must
1: be nice to, tr- to travel right now yeah i know um, right that
0: sounds so great yeah
1: Um, And while living out his fantasies of eating whatever he wants and doing whatever he wants and watching whatever he wants, Kevin soon comes into contact with two neighborhood burglars, the Wet Bandits, Harry and Marv, (laughs) played by Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern. Uh, And soon the burglars and Kevin become entangled in a cat and mouse game, and the playing field is the McAllister home. Um, So for some crew members to kind of know, the film was written by John Hughes, who was just coming off a big run in the 80s with The Breakfast Club, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And planes, trains, automobiles—one of Amy's favorite films. Yes, um, the, the film was also directed by Chris Columbus, who had later gone to helm the first two also, films. Also, I'm a little Harry bit Potters.
0: disappointed that you didn't mention Pretty in Pink or 16 Candles. Also important John Hughes movies. Okay, I'm just saying I wasn't going to list every John. You weren't going to you weren't going to do all of his listen. IMDb list. Okay, okay. Yeah, like all right, all right. We
1: have an episode. We have <laughs> we have an episode on that. Guys, go listen to it. The John, Breakfast Club and look at John Hughes. Came out July of 2020, so go check it out. It's a, it's our, one of our longest episodes, but very detailed. Um, I love it. But the film was, but the, this film was also directed by Chris Columbus, who would later go on to helm the first two films in the Harry Potter franchise. Um, another big name just to kind of mention here that's kind of weird for this family film was that the score was done by Oscar-winning composer John Williams. Um, so yeah, and the film is currently streaming on Disney Plus and available to rent on all video platforms. So Amy, you picked this film for today. And so why why was this your choice?
0: Um I sort of picked this film for today. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I believe we had a discussion about it. Um okay, so here's the thing about Home Alone. Um Home Alone is not on my Okay, so let me clarify. So, I was born in 1991. So, Home yeah. Alone had existed before me. And for a I don't year. remember. Yeah. yeah, for a year. And I don't remember, <laughs> like, I don't remember the first time I watched Home Alone. I've seen Home Alone. I've grown up. You know what I mean? It was around. Mm-hmm. I watched it. I knew about it. It was culturally significant. People spoofed it. So, like, I knew Home Alone and everything. I. As an adult, um, Adam, my husband, likes Home Alone. And so he's watched it most every year. We've watched Home Alone since I've been with him. But I've never been a huge fan of Home Alone. So my my big takeaway here, though, <laughs> is that I actually... <laughs> not to... Uh, like, I guess Thomas said he didn't want to show his hand like this early in the podcast. And I don't want to do that either. But I will say, thinking about it through a critical lens, actually... <laughs> I like it more now, so yeah, and we can talk about that as we go um, and get into that. So my my initial thoughts about this movie were just kind of, um, A, uh, this is a movie I grew up with, but a movie that I haven't really ever thought about super critically, um, and I was excited to watch it and kind of look through it more from a critical lens um, and because I did that I'm glad I did because now I like it more so I gonna actually watch <laughs> it every year now.
1: Well so let's 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 dive in a little bit now so what what did you notice this time differently than the other times?
0: I think so one of the things that I've been doing in my adult life the last few years is reading A Christmas Carol um, mm-hmm. and we talked. y'all have talked a lot about a Christmas carol on the podcast already. And so, um, but I, I read it and it's so short and it's so great. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you can read it in like a couple of hours. Like it's, it's a really, you know, um, and so this, this time around, I was really looking for, um, what is the meaning of Christmas and how does this movie tell that story and convey, What is the meaning of Christmas? And so I thought there was a depth to it that maybe I hadn't given it credit for. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't personally love the, um, like, uh, physical comedy. Like, the slapstick comedy, it becomes too much for me. Mm -hmm. And I kind of just zone out. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, here's another, like, gag, you know? Um, And, but... So pretty much for the first two acts, though, I was looking at it more closely and I was able to see a little bit more depth in some of the characters and their relationship and this idea of like motherhood and her relationship with her son and um, the relationship with Marley. And I love that. um, And I can't wait to talk about that. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, him breaking the fourth wall and um, just as a a theater lover and, you know, someone who really enjoys like the critical, like looking things through a critical lens of theater. So I think I just felt like um, I had never really watched it intentionally. And so this go around, I was watching it really intentionally. And so I was able to pick up on more of the intentional choices that were made by the filmmakers. And yeah. so it it resonated with me in a way it hadn't in years past. Yeah, so. it's interesting
1: you say say that because Thomas and I talked about this a little bit. on It's wonderful life, and it's kind of pops in with a lot of Christmas movies. Is that a lot of them? I feel like because you put them on when you're doing things around the house right. around Christmas, yeah. yeah. And, and so and so you're not always paying attention to what's going on. Like sure, we, we talked yeah. about how like how we almost think it's a wonderful life is almost an underrated movie to some extent, because people put it on as like background noise when there's way more happening within it. Um, and that's a good point to bring up with this one. I think this sometimes can get written off as just a, a, a family film about a kid who's stuck at home. Right. Right. But there's still kind of some subversion to those Christmas themes throughout. Cause I think that's, that's what kind of John Hughes and Chris Columbus kind of bring to it.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um,
1: so yeah, so very similar. I grew up with Home Alone. I think it's one that it's. I I have never also I've also never loved Home Alone to the extent that other yeah. people do. Um, it's one that I, I like, and it's always fun to revisit. And I actually I also like the sequel as well. The second, the first sequel, uh, Home Alone Two: Lost in New York. Um, but like yeah, it's just kind of like, it, it's it's just one that it's you just it's just kind of there. Yes, is what it feels like. Yes. But it is, it is it is I think the most popular film. On our list, on our Christmas list this year, I think it's just one that like
0: everyone Everybody knows and has seen. Everyone knows, yeah.
1: everyone has seen. It's it's like there are certain films like we like oh, you didn't see It's Wonderful Life, but like I, I can I can see people not seeing It's Wonderful Life. It's hard to imagine. Sorry if there's someone out there listening. Hard to imagine who hasn't seen Home Alone. Yeah, <laughs> it's just yeah. kind of one of those movies. Well,
0: and it's funny. Like, I loved what Thomas was saying in the It's a Wonderful Life episode when he was talking about, like, you know, you probably watch... And I think, I mean, you had obviously said it as well. Like, just like the... Mm. It's... You watch Christmas movies, like, more than you watch a lot of other movies, but you don't yeah. really realize it or think about yeah. it because they're just kind of like, that's, you know? and um, And I was thinking about, like, what the... Christmas movies in my life were that Mm -hmm. I watched every year and it was, you know, Mm -hmm. Elf um, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I guess actually didn't come out until I was a little bit older, but Elf, um, you know, and and Sound of Music, which is not technically a Christmas movie, but we totally watched it at Christmas. <laughs> and um <laughs> same thing with Harry Potter, not technically a Christmas movie, but I totally watched it at Christmas. <laughs> and yeah. Um, yeah. you know, but then we also watched um Christmas Story, and um every year we watch Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, typically on Thanksgiving, because it's technically a Thanksgiving movie, but it kind of mm-hmm. kicked off our holiday movies. We watched Christmas Vacation, you know, but Home Alone was, and, and actually, and It's a Wonderful Life was not one that I grew up watching year to year or, you know, whatever. And, um, nor was Home Alone really, but I had at least seen it. You
1: know, so. We can't all have great childhoods, Amy. I'm sorry. I know. Sorry. I know.
0: Okay. But what's crazy is my dad, you would think that my dad being a filmmaker and being so like, you would think that I grew up watching that, but I didn't, I didn't actually grow up watching that. The
1: though. funny part, the sound of music tangent real quick, cause I, I'm, I'm home now for the holidays and sound of music was actually on yeah uh kayla and my mom will hear this and 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 bring this up because it was on and we were and we were my dad had it on dvr and, and mom my mom's like why why is this playing at christmas and yeah I was like, it's like it's so she's like is it she's like is it a christmas movie i was like not really but it's i know you sent me like a like, a, like a, the tier system of like christmas films like oh yeah it's yeah, a yeah. movie it's like it's like a movie about family and yes. because the holidays, it kind of you just kind of connect it. Yeah, I think too because with that movie, like you have the my favorite thing song, song. Yeah, exactly. Which, which, which becomes kind of a, in the Christmas canon in some way. But yeah, there are those, and it's funny too. You bring in Harry Potter because that some of the movies Chris you actually Columbus, said. Harry, yes, Chris Columbus directed it. Christmas Vacation, John Hughes wrote. Right. So those th- those were actually kind of all coming to play weirdly today. So yeah, so let's actually let's just dive into it of history of how Home Alone got to production. Um, so, I got a lot of different places I looked at online. The biggest one I looked at for sources is the uh, the Independence oral history Oral History on the movie from last year. Because last year was the 30th anniversary of the film. So, yeah. So, like many of John Hughes' films, the idea spurred from his real life. Hughes was always inspired by things that had happened to him or problems that could occur in his actual Actual life. Um, while he was packing for a vacation, he was going through a mental checklist of all the things he needed to bring. And as he was doing it, he jokingly thought, well, I can't forget the kids. And <laughs> that's when the light bulb went off his said, wait, what if I did forget my kids? And so he took a break from packing and he wrote down eight pages worth of notes about a story of a kid who accidentally gets left left at home while his family goes on vacation uh, and when thinking about the villains in the movie, too, he thought about what's one thing a young kid's afraid of, and that's robbers. Yeah. And yeah. that's how Harry and Marv became the villains. And and Hughes was known for writing his scripts incredibly quickly. Um, uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if this one in a, in a quick kind of writing session as well. I mean, there's all these stories about like Ferris Bueller was written over a weekend wow uh fully and and breakfast club written within like a few days as well that hurts my um, soul
0: as someone who's yeah. a writer and takes so Yeah, I remember, I,
1: there's there, there's a funny story it was like I, we were in class one time uh i was in class one time we had a professor who had worked with hughes and he was just like i don't care what you guys think he goes whatever script you do like there's gonna be more than one draft i've never met a writer who could write a movie in just one draft and he goes i take that back back john hughes could he could do it in a few days <laughs> john hughes could write um, it in a few
0: days that's amazing what a talent because
1: basically what he would do was he would write his idea was side story on john hughes he would write a full draft and it would be long
0: yeah um
1: yeah. and and that long draft he was like cool i'm gonna shoot this and then we're gonna cut it all out in editing if it doesn't work Whoa. so, so like plain Strains example is like there's a three-hour cut somewhere of that movie. That's hysterical. That they just like cut out to where it's now 90 minutes. They cut out you half You know what's the funny movie, is basically. that kind
0: of like that checks out for some of the like stuff we'll talk about later. Like, yeah. That makes, that kind of makes sense. That checks out. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So basically, he never wanted his stuff cut in the writing. He always is, like, if it's going to be cut, we'll cut, cut it post. it on post. the floor. Yeah. Yeah. On the
0: editing Th- then room
1: making floor. that, that then sense. making that decision uh, uh, earlier. Um, so Hughes was at this point in his career where he was working more as a writer producer. Than a director, He was directing less and less because Hughes was becoming kind of a big name and was kind of becoming a, a commodity. I think we talked about this last week a little bit with Jim Henson and his name, how his name was becoming big. Hughes was kind of the same way. Um, and so right before making this movie, he had written and produced a sequel to his hit vacation series, Nash Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which was released in 1989. <laughs> The original director for that film was to be Chris Columbus. Uh, Columbus had written earlier films like The Goonies and Gremlins, and he had recently transitioned into the director's chair with, uh, I think, the '87 film Adventures in Babysitting was his first one. And so, however, Columbus hated working on Christmas Vacation because he said Chevy Chase is a terrible person to work with. This is not the first time we've talked about this. No. uh no, About Chase's about Chase's relationship with a director on a vacation movie. Uh, a few months ago, Thomas and I talked about how director Amy Heckerling also had similar issues with Chase on *Nash Lampoon's European vacation. Columbus would quickly quit the movie and he feared he would never work again as a director. Uh, his previous film, Heartbreak Hotel, was a box office bomb and he was on the verge of just like possibly being done with Hollywood because of this. Um, and... Because people believed he thought he was insane for dropping out such a high-profile film like Christmas Vacation. But the person who apparently respected him for doing it was John Hughes. So Hughes sent him two scripts he had written. One was called Reach the Rock, which was eventually made in 1998. And the other film was Home Alone. Columbus was attracted to Home Alone because he liked it, had a little bit of a darker edge for a Christmas film. He compared it to his other film, Gremlins, which also showed a darker side of the Christmas genre columbus would quickly sign on as director and he would surprisingly do an uncredited rewrite of the film one of the big changes he made was either adding the character or adding scenes of the character of marley the older neighbor of kevin McAllister, mm-hmm. who people believed be a who people believe were, was a serial killer killer um and probably purposeful i don't know but that is scrooge's old business partner in a christmas carol so there's that tie Oh, I definitely the,
0: think that that's intentional. I would love oh, yeah. to talk about that later. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, soon the team began searching for an actor to play Kevin McCallister, the lead of the film. Uh, Hughes had written the movie for Macaulay Culkin because they had worked together on the 1989 film Uncle Buck, but Columbus wanted to see more kids because he's like, I'm the director. I kind of want to like have a say in who gets casted. Fair Cast enough. In the movie. Um, casting director Janet uh, Hershinson. Searched an actor in both New York and Chicago, but no one compared. No one compared to Culkin. Columbus said he looked at hundreds and hundreds of kids before finally seeing Culkin, and he knew he was perfect for the role. Mm. Um, he called up Hughes, saying, "Like, oh yeah, he's he's. You're right, he's great." Um, the production would soon begin casting for the rest of the film. Uh, the majority of the actors cast in the non-lead roles were Chicago natives. Uh, Hershenson spent a lot of time casting the kids of Kevin's family. She would state that casting kids was more about casting their personas, not based on their readings. I bring this up because she also was a casting director on Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone with Chris Columbus. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. And she uh, nailed that she, too. <laughs> yeah. Wow. She, she, I I think she, I read that she came on a little bit later. So they had narrowed down to a few selections of Ron and Hermione but they didn't have Harry. They yeah. didn't have Radcliffe. Uh, anyway, jumping a little bit ahead, because this dives into production a little bit, but the other two important characters to cast were Marv and Harry, and they looked at several people for the roles, but they finally decided on Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci, but that almost didn't happen. Really? Uh, when they, yeah, When they initially agreed to the movie, it was only to be a six-week shoot. <laughs> After they agreed, the production went from a six-week shoot to an eight-week shoot. Because of all the stunts? Maybe. There's there's some stuff that comes into play of okay. why it gets pushed, I think. Uh, Stern said if it was going to be longer than they should get a pay increase. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the film was already over budget, so the, his pay increase was denied, and so he quit. Uh, they then cast another actor by the name of Daniel Roebuck in the role of Marv, they soon realized that Roebuck and Pesci had zero chemistry.
0: Oh no. Uh,
1: and Pesci, I think Pesci was like, we should probably get Stern back. I don't know who said it, but Columbus, <laughs> but three days, in the, three days in the shooting, Columbus comes in the office. is like, we got to fire this guy.
2: Yeah. Um, and Daniel yeah. Roebuck
1: is, he, he's a character actor who pops up in a lot of things. Um, so they fired Roebuck, went back to Stern and Stern would later say he was so glad they did uh, because he lucked out and, and like them coming back to him. Um, <laughs> As I mentioned, they did, they wouldn't give a pay increase because the film was over budget. And it was very much over budget in the studio's eyes. So when Hughes pitched the movie to Warner Brothers, he said it would be made for $10 million. The budget would later rise to $14.7 million. Uh, wow. Warner, that's actually... That's not a huge budget. It's not. It's not, it's I mean, not a huge the, budget at all. Inflation. But the reason why is because at this point in time, kids and family movies didn't make a lot of money.
0: Right, they didn't draw in the same kind of money, so you couldn't invest that kind of money into them. Yeah, so that
1: they, they, they were looking at, okay, if we're spending this much, this movie will maybe at best make $50 million at best. 50, right. 60, is it worth it? That's coming to play later. Um, So Warner Brothers threatened to shut the production down, and put it into turnaround if Hughes and team were not able to cut the budget down to $13.5 million. They were unable to do so. Uh, sensing Warner Brothers would shut the project down, Hughes did something to try and save the project. A few weeks before, Hughes went to the 20th Century Fox Studios and dropped off a script from them for them. Now, technically, it was a Warner Brothers script. Isn't that illegal? Yes. So, and it was te- <laughs> yes. That's so, a breach it was, of
0: contract, for sure. Yeah,
1: so it's a Warner Brothers script. And, uh, technically because it's, a, it's through them, they can't get, Fox can't look at the script or like take it from them, uh, unless it gets put into turnaround. So Hughes somehow goes there. I don't know what happens, but someone says, yeah, he basically dropped it somewhere and someone picked it up. So it wasn't like a hand to hand thing.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So he got off on a technicality is what I'm hearing.
1: Basically. Basically is what it was. It was very, it was, it was very like, we got to figure out a way to do this. And so Fox loved it and they decided to keep tabs on it, waiting to see if Warner Brothers would shut it down. Um, And when the budget wasn't lowered, Warner Brothers put the project into turnaround, meaning other studios could buy the property from them and make it themselves. So right when they, right when it gets put in the turnaround, Hughes calls up the Fox executives immediately saying, Hey, Uh, They just shut us down and they go, everything's fine. You're now a Fox picture. Keep going.
0: Wow. That is so great. I mean, miserable for a lot of different people who had to be involved on the logistics and like production and accounting and all of that side. But
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's been more stuff like that coming up. So that's how this movie gets into production. So, Amy, tell me one of your your favorite scenes in the film.
0: So, I want to start with um, early on in the film, um, when Kevin's family, he wakes up and he's like, oh my god, my family is gone. Um, Mm -hmm. And the line, I made my family disappear, Mm -hmm. and he's like really concerned about that and then the voices and everything kind of pop up behind him and he's thinking back over all the horrible things his family has said yeah. and then he breaks the fourth such wall a di- again disease yeah saying so it yeah you're a disease um he breaks the fourth wall again and he's like i made my family disappear i need you to know that i when watching this film in years past have hated this scene, but for whatever reason, (laughs) I loved it this go around. And I think it's because of the breaking of the fourth wall. And I was thinking about it more through the lens of like a critical lens of like why we're using that, um, in this film. Right. You know what I mean? Like why they chose to break the fourth wall and like why they're doing that. Mm -hmm. And the more I thought about that, I kind of loved it, you know? Yeah. Um, And so this was kind of my favorite moment of that, of that. I thought that was the best use of breaking the fourth wall Um, because, you know, I think that the fourth wall kind of like that started becoming, people would start to break the fourth wall when um, in theater, when theater went from being like super flowery and poetic language to being more like, I'm going to tell you, like the dialogue was um, more natural and and the action and the the stuff that was happening on stage resembled more like what was happening in real life rather than kind of these um, you know more abstract or whatever concepts and so I kind of like that I think that this moment it it does two things one I think it makes Mm -hmm. Kevin more relatable which I think is really important and I think he's really um, you know uh, he's talking to maybe the kids in the audience like you know like that kind of thing and then two I think that um, it's also reminding us that this is a fictional world and that uh, you know (laughs) I think that this is being used metafictionally to say to remind the audience like hey we know this is super far-fetched and this would never really happen and the breaking of the fourth wall is kind of used and it kind of is used throughout the thing to do that the other thing i was going to say and i kind of already touched on this just a second ago is i think breaking the fourth wall i think the audience becomes um a surrogate for kevin's um imaginary friend or Mm -hmm. this like person that he's talking to um and so I, I just really liked that. And then the other, sorry, the last thing, this is also why I really liked it. There are lots of reasons I really liked it, um, is also because Dickens breaks the fourth wall in A Christmas Carol, in the book. Okay, um, okay. So one of my favorite lines in A Christmas Carol is... Um, is one of marley is uh, you know coming in or whatever and in the i believe I, I could be mis uh misplacing that but i think that's the the moment it happens it's early in the book and dickens says he was standing as close to scrooge as i am standing next to you now and that is like, and it was like one of those things that the first time I read it, literally chills just like went up my spine. And I was like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> like that was like, like it was like a ghost was standing right over my shoulder, yeah. you know? And so I kind of like that Dickens wrote for the masses and that that was his way of like bringing you into the world, bringing you into the story, making you relate to these characters and put yourself in the situation of like, if you were Scrooge and you were sitting in this room and a ghost walked in, how would it? make you feel and he kind of did that in this line and so i think in the same way um i think the filmmakers used or i think that john hughes when he wrote the that you know scene to be the breaking uh, well was that a cho- i don't know if that was a chris columbus choice or if that, i'm assuming that was written That's, into that, the script. That,
1: that, that was probably hughes hughes, yeah. hughes is known for breaking the fourth wall yeah he is yes. yeah
0: because ferris bueller and everything like that too mm-hmm. so so yeah so when hughes wrote that in you know i think that that was this almost the same thing where he's like he's bringing us into the world he's making us a part of it. We are now on this ride with Kevin, Um, and and it kind of brings you back to that, like, being a kid, and you're like, oh, that would be awesome if my whole family was gone, and I had the house to myself, you know what I mean? So, I just, I yeah, liked yeah. that. I liked all of that. Sorry, that was a long-winded answer, but that's, that's fine. It's fine. you know.
1: It's it's funny you bring up that line. I think I might have cut this from our previous episode, but that's the same line that Sean also brought up when talking about uh, A Christmas Carol, was that really? Line? Oh, yeah. how funny. I, don't, I, I, I can't remember... You, you listener, I might have cut it, so you might not have heard it, but I definitely heard him say that. But yeah, it, it's that's kind of the key point you brought up is the relatable aspect of it. Is that right. like, I mean, I even think about this with my roommates. It's sometimes like, oh, my roommates are gone. I have the apartment like to myself. myself. Yeah. yeah, I, I feel like, I feel like that's always kind of a thing if you're if you're if you're married in a relationship, have roommates with a family. It's to say like, oh, no one's gonna be here. Right, I can just. Right. I can do whatever I want to. I end up doing the same stuff I'd probably do beforehand if they were there, but it's like, it's that freedom. It's that, that like, like, oh, oh
0: yes. Yeah. Like, the whole house and, is like to myself and I can watch whatever I want. And yeah. Yeah.
1: I don't have to worry about who, who's going to be like the TV, Who's has the TV. What I'm
0: eating, nothing. What I'm,
1: yeah. What <laughs> yeah. I'm, no one's going to judge me by what I'm eating. Um, if I want to have Taco Bell every meal, yeah, I can have no Taco one's going to judge me for that. No one's going <laughs> to judge. Um, and, and, it's funny you 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 distill that into that kind of scene because that is kind of true. It, it does make, I said, makes that whole thing relatable, right? In that moment where it's like, oh cool, I don't have to worry about anything.
2: I made my family disappear.
0: Kevin, you're completely helpless. You no, know, Kevin, you're what the French call les incompetents.
2: Kevin, I'm going to feed you to my tarantula.
0: Kevin, you are such a disease. There are 15 people in this house, and you're the only one who has to make trouble. Look what you did,
1: you little jerk.
2: I made my family disappear.
1: But weirdly, what's so funny, too, with this is that not only a scene, but, like, it weirdly becomes a coming-of-age movie in a, in a, in a, yes. in a weird in a weird way, because like, he starts, like, he get, he knows, even though he's not, he's shopping, like, great stuff for him, for, like, healthy-wise, but, like, he's going to the store by himself, he's doing things by himself, he's learning to stand up for himself, finally, right, right. Um, and all these different things, and kind of learning how to, in a way, kind of, contr- realize what's important in his life, like, his family's right, right. important and all that, um, so he learns a lot as a character, Kevin does, and um, so yeah, and and you can say that moment kind of is the beginning of certain things with that. Yeah, a scene I like a lot of actors in this movie, and so I could easily go one by one. I'll start. I'll start with Catherine O'Hara um, because I think O'Hara has she's amazing. She's a, she's amazing comic actress. Like yes, I think she, she, is. she she's very funny. She, I just I love the scene. It's the scene when she when they get to France and they're at the airport and it's just the like trying to get a phone or whatever is all she's trying to do. It's like, it's, 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 it's very simple motivation is that once that happens, like, cool, I have to get back to my kid, my son, any means necessary.
0: Yes. And
1: that's her whole motivation for the rest of that movie is I have to get back home. And, uh, it's, I, I actually like her story a lot. Um, again, this kind of motherhood thing of like, she's just trying to, because what's, so interesting to go into the whole Hughes canon uh to bring this in because they talked about this previously in our our last episode and now kind of talking about this now brings it up Hughes mostly dealt with characters and their fathers a lot of times yes if it was pretty in pink if it was um Sixteen Candles. Usually, it's like it's the daughter and and the father. Well, even or like Cameron
0: and Ferris Bueller. Like you know, yeah. like it's always like it's a son. It's and father. S- yeah, it's a father. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. It's it's weird. And a lot with Sixteen Candle, or with Pretty in Pink, and I think with uh, some kind of Wonderful, it's a father. It, it, the mother is either there But still kind of absent in some way She's not right. that important And this is the one kind of Hughes film Where he makes like the mother the Really important in, in the terms of the parental dynamic Yeah um, Of the It's it's a mom and her son Right And he never had done that before Yeah He does it a little bit later But that's like his and It's And the thing is like When you think of Hughes And his parental relationships a lot of time This is the one that comes to mind the most I think Right yeah Is is Yeah is O'Hare. I definitely it, agree yeah is is uh is o'hara and, and colkin
0: the way i was kind of thinking about home alone is a little like i mean uncle buck is definitely a family movie i think for the most you know it is Um, It is
1: And that one also kind of has That has some other part Yeah Yeah
0: And I But that's like And that one came before Home Alone A year before But after But after most of A lot of Hughes' other Like most popular films In like the 80s You know what I mean Um, Mm -hmm. So What I think is interesting Is that like I thought of Home Alone As like uh, As uh, (laughs) As as John Hughes for kids, like, you know what I mean? Like, because in so many ways, like his other movies were like made for adults or teenagers or whatever. And home alone is kind of this shift of like John Hughes for kids. You know what I mean? I I agree. And then the movies that he makes. And I think uncle Buck is almost like that. Like it's like a transitional and then home alone kind of makes that full jump into like, Mm. okay, now we're doing like family and kids, you know what I mean? And so I think that, um, I think that, In those types of movies, and I see this a lot in kids' movies in general, moms are typically the most important in the parental, like, you know, and a lot of other kids, in most other kids' movies. And I think that's because of, you know, I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of like stereotypes and stuff like that that are related to that because, you know, the mom is like the parent and the, you know, the caregiver, the nurturing one. And so in this movie, we wanted to see, you know, this eight-year-old kid is like by themselves and, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't think that a dad, um, you know what I mean, It, it this is a stereotype, not the way I think it should be. You know what I mean? Like, I think it should be that a dad could be nurturing and emotional that his son has been left from home. Certainly, but yeah, yeah. I do think that the the that the you the, the, that they chose to make Kate, you know, kind of bigger in this role. I think there was intentional, and I think part of that is to um, to highlight that like this is a child, you know, what I mean? like that's yeah. being left at home you know so
1: yeah.
0: i think that was part of that
1: and again going with that the, the kind of her and the family it's like when she's kind of not freaking out but she's on the plane like oh my god what do we do like we left our child yeah. at home yeah. and and the uncle the, the uncle's like oh i left i left my reading glasses if it makes you feel any better yeah and she's like, like no <laughs> yeah, it's, you know? it's just, like, yeah it's just it's just it's just like the, <laughs> like frank frank, frank his wife's just like looking at him like are you insane frank Yeah. like frank is a character who's just like he is so cheap yeah, <laughs> in every way. It's like he realizes that like I am freeloading on this trip to France. Yeah. yeah. I'm not paying for anything. Yeah. Um, and, and it's in every scene it's that way. Um And then I also love
0: that Kate transitions into like she uses her motherhood to appeal to the woman when she's trying to get the plane faster. And she's like, please, from one mother to another. And I love I love Catherine O'Hara's ability to transition from these like like yeah. really con- like when she's like, do you think it's a real Rolex or, or whatever, you know? And the lady's like, no, who, who, who's yeah, you know, and she like and who she can tell? Yeah, exactly. Who can tell? Yeah. She just transitions so um, it just she just transitions so well, effortlessly. Yeah, effortlessly, yeah into yeah. that's the word I'm looking for. Great job, thank you. <laughs> And she yeah. just, from that comedic kind of thing to that like genuine moment where your heart is just broken for her, and you're like, "Oh my yeah. God, get her home to her child." You know. <laughs> so. I am calling from Paris. I have a son who's home alone. Has
2: a child been involved in a violent altercation with a drunken and/or mentally ill member of his immediate family? No. Has he been involved in a household accident? I don't know. I don't. I.
1: I, I hope not.
2: Has your child ingested any poison and or any other object that has become lodged in his throat?
1: No, he's just home alone. And I would like somebody to go over to the house and see that he's all right, just to check on him.
2: You want us to go to your house just to check on him? Yes. Let me connect you with the police department. No, they just transferred me to you. Rose. Yeah. Hyper on two. Hang on. Hold on, please. No, please don't hang up. Please don't. No. <laughs> any luck? No. Couldn't get anybody, Leslie.
1: I'm sorry, Kate. Nothing but a bunch of answering machines. Somebody pick up. Pick up. Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern have phenomenal chemistry as as the Wet Bandits, as Harry and Marv. And like I read, because I read that they were. You talk about the over the top humor. I think they read that like. I thought that this movie would just, like, be okay at best. They were just like, yeah. screw it. We're going to go very over the top with all of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's what makes the movie kind of, it makes it outlandish. But I think that adds to, like, oh, this is a fantasy. Some take it, as we'll talk about later, but some people thought, like, oh, this feels just, like, very over," the t- like I said, very over the top and just doesn't work. But I think it's, like, you have to think this entire movie. I think Columbus shot it this way. Um, was it's all from a child's perspective, right? So, so the -the over-the-top nature, why it's kind of cartoonish. I think, like, well, this is all coming from Kevin's perspective, Perspective,
0: right? He he he
1: could think that's what's happening, even if it wasn't quite that amazing or awesome. You know what I mean, or whatever. You know, (laughs) I'm not saying I'm not saying it's like everything's great with this, but like, yeah, it's like I think that's the choice that they're making, um, with that. But yeah, Pesci and Stern, I love that Pesci is it's just i think kind of petty in and in a lot of times it's like it's the scene where like he's they're driving and he sees the he sees kevin and kevin looks at him weird when he sees his tooth and he's like yeah i didn't like the way that kid looked at, kid at looked me, at me. <laughs> and like seeing pesci in this movie is just like insane like this is the i think this is the same year as goodfellas that's the insane part to me is like he make. I don't watch a ton of those movies.
0: Like the Good Felt, like that's <laughs> so not my like genre of like. Literally anyone who's ever listened to a podcast with me on it is like, yeah, that's not Amy's thing. <laughs> they don't. They no, know I'm that. No, not saying, but, like, but you know like, what I mean. He, but it he is wins crazy an on- to- no but that's what i'm saying it's crazy yes exactly (laughs) it's like this man like talk about the range
1: (laughs) yeah literally two two months after goodfellas comes out he's making this he wins an oscar for goodfellas the same year he's where he's where he's just like just a character who's just so kind of cold and all like just completely uh, i guess profane and obscene in a way and here you have him doing just mumbling and gibberish like just completely separate ends of the spectrum right like slapstick and yeah it's insane. like to put that in perspective yeah put that in perspective that he's doing these two separate roles in the same year is is and i didn't realize it until we just started talking about just how kind of crazy that is (laughs) i've heard scorsese pesci i think is not annoyed but pesci's always scorsese's told chris columbus before he's like yeah pesci like no matter anywhere he goes, the thing they recognize him the most for is Home Alone. And he doesn't get yeah. it. Like, he doesn't yeah. get it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. But Pesci and Stern just have, uh, they're great together. I love when they're, mm-hmm. like, robbing mm-hmm. the place. And, like, Stern's just like, we're the wet bandits. We're the and wet he, bandits. He, and he's just yeah. like, Marv you're, Marv, you're so dumb.
0: Like it's like
1: again, we we talk about this idea of like family in these Christmas movies, and really Harry and Marv are a family. That's kind of like they're basically brothers, yeah, um, in a way. And like their 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 way of spending their holidays together is just just robbing people's houses, burglarizing the community. It brings them so much joy.
2: Don't worry, Marv, I'll get them for you. He's only a kid harry we can take him Ah, oh, shut up we Ooh, oh what is it you're missing some teeth that's my i go to my gold tooth. i'll kill him i'll kill him you bomb me with one more can and i'll snap up your cojones and boil the motor oil
0: but i do want to go back to probably my favorite scene in the movie like Uh, the whole is the last is like the last sequence um i love when (laughs) kevin and kate are reunited and that entire sequence of her like looking around the house and i love when kevin comes down the stairs and he's like he so believes that Santa is going to bring his family back to him and he is truly like, I believe in Christmas and it's got to be like, they've got to be here. And it's not even like he, it. And it's such a kid thing to do. You know, it's mm-hmm. such a like that innocence of being a kid. And it wouldn't logistically make sense that they would just be there on Christmas morning magically, you know, what I mean, or whatever. Yeah. And um, he gets so disappointed and he goes upstairs and he, you know, he's like, I thought like, it's kind of that moment where like, I love this moment because I think it was so relatable. There have been so many times in my life where I've done so much growth and I've, I've made so much progress in my life, but it's still not. There, You know what I mean? Like, like mm-hmm. what I wanted in life is still not actualized. And, um, mm-hmm. and so I just liked that moment of like, here I, here he is, he's changed, he's grown. We've watched him kind of, you know, progress. And and like you said earlier, you could make an argument. This is kind of like a coming of age. And yet yeah. he still isn't getting that like thing that he wants. And I liked Catherine O'Hara when she comes in and Kate is like looking around and mm-hmm. she says, like, Merry Christmas, Kevin. And then she's like, I'm so sorry, you know, mm-hmm. and it just felt so genuine.
1: Another one of my favorite kind of sequences is O'Hara's chemistry or scenes with John Candy, I think are fantastic.
0: Oh, man. Interesting. Okay.
1: That's fine. We don't like it, but like, I just,
0: I like, <laughs> they're like my I least like favorite scenes in the whole movie. Not, oh, God, because, I lo- not because of like them. I, I think you're right about the chemistry, but yeah. Oh, go yeah. ahead. I don't want to take over. Tell me no, why no, it's your favorite.
1: No. no, I like it. Well, cause I think can't, well, cause they, they worked on SCTV together in the eighties. So like they've worked together several, like for, for years before. And you can tell they're just like, they're just going and just like, we have this amount of time to shoot. Let's just do whatever with this. But I, but I think candy the, the kind of moment that kind of is touching. You know, it's it's comedic, but like talking about just being on the road as like a musician, even though they're like they're not really successful. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, but it's like, oh yeah, that guy he hasn't even seen his kid yeah or like that guy this and he's just like he goes yeah Because we're all terrible parents yeah but like we're all trying and she's That's like the thing. please
0: stop talking like, yeah he's like, like can you're we not... talk
1: about something else yeah well, he's, like, he's like he's like have you ever let your kid at home gone to paris no but uh left him in a funeral parlor once yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was hours before he realized that little little kid was uh was there just just with the body yeah <laughs> So dark. She's just, look, so dark. And she's just like, "What?" And he's like, "Yeah." He wouldn't talk for weeks. Like it was just, it was. It's so. It it makes no sense, really. But the movie doesn't make sense a lot of the time. Um. So I I think I just think candy. I think candy's great. I think it's just a yeah. Poker poke King in the Midwest. You know, you're you're beating yourself up there. You know, Come on, this happens. This thing happens. You know, yeah. Gee, you, you you want to talk about bad parents? Look at look at us. I mean, we're on the road 48, 49 weeks out of the year. We hardly see our families. Uh, you know, Joe over there, gosh, you know, he, he forgets his kids' names half the time. And Ziggy over there, he doesn't even, he's never even met his kid. Eddie. Let's just hope none of them write a book about him.
2: Tell me, have you ever gone on vacation and left your child home?
1: No last scene i'll bring up before we move on unless if you have a scene because you haven't talked about it, is uh is the church scene with marley um i like because i like the guy i like the actor robert's blossom yeah. yeah i think he was a chicago actor they cast but no i think i think it's a good kind of switch where or, or turn where it's like again as a kid to talk about this has a john hughes kids movie as a kid <laughs> you build up these like oh that guy is a, he's he, terrible he's a, and terrifying he's the snow, yeah. he's the snow, shovel, murderer, uh, snow shovel murderer of 1985 <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Uh, or 1965 or whatever and like you build up these things of like these uh, everything is so can be so scary if you build it up you build up these yeah. stories and myths of your neighborhood of your neighbors we had a neighbor like that in our neighborhood that we just hated and we thought yeah anyway I'll go into that um <laughs> And that happens here, and and they did that very well, like, showcasing that, and then it's the turn of, like, oh, no, he's just a, a, nice a sweet old, ma- old man, a nice old man who so, has also has family issues as well.
0: Yeah, well, I, so I actually, you know, you said something about, like, Marley and it being from A Christmas Carol, so I've already nerded out over A Christmas Carol once, but I'm about to do it again. Um, uh-huh. But, like, I do think it was a very intentional choice um, mm. because, like Marley from Dickens's. Christmas Carol, Uh, Mm -hmm. Marley in Home Alone has done some bad things in the past. Um, And when we meet Marley in the church, he is currently serving his penance the same way that Marley in A Christmas Carol is serving his penance. And I think um, he serves as a warning to the main character, Kevin, of what can happen if you don't make things right when you have a chance. Um, And so I think, you know, for me, I thought that was a very intentional thing. Like, I think that in the same way that Marley comes and warns Scrooge about like, hey, you know, make things right or you're going to be like me and you're going to be in chains made of all of the, you know, the stacks of coins and the papers and the calculators and all those things. um, I think in this way, Marley in Home Alone is also serving as, hey, like, I don't get to talk to my granddaughter up there because I exchanged harsh words with my son and we never repaired that. Um, And fortunately in Home Alone, Marley gets a much better ending than Marley in A Christmas Carol. Because in A Christmas Carol, Marley just, he just is forever a ghost serving his, you know, he's in uh, purgatory but um, or whatever. But I do think it was intentional and I actually really loved that.
1: Yeah, that's I, I. I it didn't hit me until you said that just now about with, with like the warning that he gives. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't ever, I didn't make that connection until we just discussed it. It's like it, he is the Marley of Marley saying, mm-hmm. "If you if you do this, you're gonna wind up like me." Mm-hmm. And Marley and this is very similar. He's saying like, "This is what happened to me, and now I'm sitting here, and this is the closest I can get to my granddaughter." Is this is is through this. And, and, but then, yeah, you think you have Kevin who kind of the child's eyes of like, well, why don't you just like call and apologize? right <laughs> it's like, yeah. And he's just yeah. like, oh yeah, I never, I didn't think that would, that could yeah. be a thing. I guess, yeah. I, I guess I could do that. <laughs> um So yeah, it's, it, yeah, that's, it, that's, yeah, we, we keep finding out how much this genre is connected to the Christmas Carol and it's just, it's yeah. surprising each time, the extra thing you find. No, that's a good, that's a good point. Years back, before you and your family moved on the block. I had an argument with my son.
2: How old is he?
0: he's grown up. We lost our tempers. And I said I didn't care to see him anymore. He said the same. We haven't spoken to each other since.
2: If you miss him, why don't you call him? I'm afraid if I call him, he won't talk to me. How do you know?
0: I don't know. I'm just afraid he won't.
2: No offense, but... Aren't you a little old to be afraid?
1: You can be a little old for a lot of things. You're never too old to be afraid. So moving on to Onset Life. So production for the film began on February 14th, Valentine's Day, 1990, in the Chicago area. One of the biggest obstacles of the production uh, they needed to overcome was finding a house for the McAllister's. After a thorough search of weeks of looking around Chicago area, they finally landed on one in the Chicago suburb of uh, Winnetka, where almost all of John Hughes's films were shot. Um, the only issue was that they couldn't use most of the interiors because they had not matched what they were going for in the film. So they had to build a lot of the house interiors uh, at a high school, a local high school. Um, hmm. They built they built them in the gym and the, <laughs> the scene they a scene which they did the same thing for a Breakfast Club. Uh, the scene where they it's the flooding of the basement. They actually built that set in an empty swimming pool at the high school is what it was. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that's how they flooded it. The high, yeah, the high school was a new, new trier high school, which was also used in uncle Buck and Ferris Bueller's day off, uh, as, as like certain sets and the production offices were also housed at the school when they were making it. Um, so they basically just convert this entire school into, uh, a studio. Um, like most films uh scheduling was difficult on the shoot um really especially with, don't say yeah. don't <laughs> with say. all
0: these actors and like, all these yeah. ki- and all these <laughs> and kids all these kids that you can't yeah, yeah. Oh, so, God. so so
1: with Col- so with Culkin and the other kids uh Devin Ratray who played Buzz McAllister said that he would work eight hours and then have school for three hours um because Culkin was younger and he could only film until 10 p.m. at night. Rat Race says says that there was always there wasn't a lot of time on set to hang out because they were if they weren't working they were in school. Um, mm. He did say the kids were given scooters to ride from class to set, and the producers soon realized that was a mistake because yep. they had a bunch of kids <laughs> riding around the empty riding school on scooters. Uh, on scooters. Um, also, and because Culkin would be done at like 10 p.m uh they would shoot out colkin and then columbus would basically say all of colkin's lines uh right. for harry and marv when they're shooting the nighttime stuff um outside so basically he's like yeah i was i was kevin from 10 10 p.m <laughs> to 6 to 6 a.m is what it was when we did nights um and because they were in it for and for the exteriors they had to shoot those all at the actual house so they were in this neighborhood suburban neighborhood and He's like they're probably so annoyed with us like us yelling action and yelling and stuff at like three four a.m. in the morning uh, for this film. Um, no, I don't know. To,
0: People love that kind of stuff. They're like, "Oh I my know. god, did you know this filmed in my neighborhood and I watched I know, right but, from my yeah. door?" You know? yeah.
1: I think I think I think I mean I think it's like Lincoln. It's like Lincoln Street is what it is. I actually found the address. So you there you, could you look go. Yeah, you, they're actually doing an Airbnb for it. I think I read. At one oh, point. I did
0: read that. I yeah, read they're doing an Airbnb. Yeah. yeah, they're doing an
1: Airbnb for it. Yeah, crazy. Um, so yeah, uh, according to uh, Santa Moses, who is also one of the McAllister kids, the most difficult scene for them to shoot was the McAllisters were running through O'Hara and International Airport in Chicago. Um, while the scene was short, it apparently took several days to shoot with thousands what? of extra with thousands of extras. Uh, and with actors running at full speed down the the area, where they're at, because it was so it was such a big set, apparently, like down or the big, gate or whatever, down the gate, yeah. That seems
0: crazy. <laughs> why would you not just build like a generic looking airport? Like, why did you have to do that in the O'Hare?
1: The '80s were different. They they just shot everything in location. Like nowadays, like, no,
0: it has to be the Chicago O'Hare Airport. Like, why? Yeah. Oh though? yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Ninety percent of the people who are seeing your movie probably have never even been to that airport. <laughs> like, it makes it feel real, Amy. It makes it feel okay. Real. <laughs> you know who else makes it feel real? Set decorators, production designers. <laughs> like, you know, I'm just like, I feel like there was a the, way to make the, it. Happen. The
1: eight, the eighties are different though. I got like, there's not right, as much well, studio space, and it's I guess it's so, so much cheap. That's just it's crazy. Cheaper. I mean, they were shooting in a school. Like they didn't yeah, have yeah. that okay, much money. money. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. They were shooting in a school. There was not production <laughs> you mean space in Chicago. There were, were
0: Chicago. no sound stages in Chicago. Yeah, that in they Chicago could just, like, area. Out, you know, no, build like an people, airport.
1: People hadn't been shooting in Chicago. The first time they shot in Chicago for a while was 1980 with the Blues Brothers. So it have been nine years since they were really shooting the, in Chicago. And it was really just John Hughes shooting his like teen movies and everything. It's so funny. So there wasn't much to do. So you had to use those sets. Um, but anyway, but the it seems like the most difficult person to work with on set was not any of the kids, but it was Joe Pesci. Um, app- apparently, Pesci hated that he had to be on set at 7 a.m. sometimes because it meant it meant he was not able to put in nine holes of golf before he went to work. Are you um, kidding me? No, he complained extensively to the assistant director. But so mm-hmm. after that, his call time was moved back from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. They so gave could... him
0: what he wanted. He's Joe Pesci. Uh,
1: oh, my God. <laughs> uh, d- director of photography, uh, Julio McCat, also Pesci complained a lot about the lines he had to say on set. Uh, and because it was a huge script and a of fan- uh, a huge script, there was little improvising on set for him. Mm-hmm. Um, P- Pesci would become so frustrated with this, he would want to use profane language but was not, not allowed to use profanity on set, so Pesci made up his own gibberish <laughs> gibberish language to vent his frustrations, which was not in the script. So all that, like, him doing the, <laughs> just that, that's all, like, just Pesci adding that in, and they were, they were okay with that. And while I said there was not much ad-libbing on set, one person was allowed to ad-lib, and that was John Candy. Um Candy <laughs> being, one, being one of Hughes's best friends... Uh, came into the cameo role of Gus Polinsky, poker King of the Midwest, as a favor for Hughes. Candy was only paid $414 for his role.
0: Shut up.
1: Which was less than the pizza delivery boy actor made on the film. <laughs> um,
0: and this is after playing Jordan Automobiles. Uncle oh, yeah, he's Bob, big. Like, this is like, he's big, like, yeah. This is like John Hughes. Yeah. Is, uh, I mean, uh, yeah. John Candy is like John Candy at this point. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah he That's hilarious.
1: Uh, Hughes offered him a percentage of the box office gross, but Candy refused, saying that he's doing it because they were friends. Um, Hughes told God. Columbus to let Candy do whatever he wanted, so Candy and Catherine O'Hare pretty much improvised all of their scenes together. Uh, and in terms of scheduling, Candy's was the hardest of all because he was only available to shoot for one day wow uh so they shot all of his that didn't feel uh well they had a lot they cut is the thing oh okay i was gonna say it didn't feel like it would have taken more than a day they shot for a 23 hour shoot day is what it was to get all of candy stuff damn yeah i've
0: only done like one or two of those in my days <laughs> that's pretty rough
1: yeah that's... I, I i had read that base they let him do like four or five ta- or a few takes of like from the script and then they would just let candy and hara um go um, last thing, wow. one, one of the biggest worries that Columbus had while shooting the film were the stunts. Um, mm-hmm. it seems like no one was majorly injured on set, which is honestly kind of surprising. Uh, <laughs> Col- Columbus would say that you would see these men fly up in the air, land hard on their backs. Everyone would just go completely silent, silent. He'd walk over and ask, are you okay? And the guy would hop up. Perfect. <laughs> the only injury that was, resp- was reported from what I can find. It seems that during one of the rehearsals. Pesci accidentally bit Culkin's finger uh, and left a <gasps> scar on it. Is oh, what it no. was. Yeah.
0: Wow. So Pesci was not only mean to everyone,
1: but also biting people. Like <laughs> it was. Part, it was in the scene. It, it was in the oh, scene. Rude. Um, uh, rude. Production would production would finally wrap on May eighth, nineteen ninety, after eighty three days of filming. Um, one last thing about Pesci, I, I, I read that. that he didn't want to see Culkin outside of like the scenes yeah. because he wanted Culkin to fear him when they actually did scenes together.
0: That's yeah. I mean, that's kind of cool. I remember reading um, in Chronicles of Narnia, Tilda Swinton did the same thing Mm -hmm. to the kids in Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And also like, do you want to spend a lot of time with kids? That's the thing. But no, I I think it does work
0: like with, I mean, it really does. does. I mean, it adds to kind of that, like, intimidation and you're there's a comfort level that comes with like you know and i think that yeah there's some of that you can't really fake and so doing that really creates that tension yeah. a little bit yeah absolutely
1: and then in the aftermath the film would be released on november 10th 1990 which is somewhat early for a christmas film mm-hmm. um uh however it was met with mixed reviews with many many critics calling it unrealistic and contrived <laughs> Audiences, however, did not feel the same way. Uh, it would stay at the top of the box office for 12 consecutive weeks. Wow. The film would eventually gross $285 million in the United States and a total <laughs> of $476 million worldwide. Hold on.
0: Hold on. Hold on. In its first box office run? Yeah. It was 400... What was it? Say those numbers again.
1: Four, 476... Well, I don't know about box... Worldwide, it was 476 million.
0: 176 million. And it was fourteen million to make this movie.
1: Yeah, and think about that Warner's exec executive who was fighting over one point five million. That's hysterical to think about that. <laughs> Holy crap! That's so crazy. And also think about John Candy passing up on percentage of box office gross. I know.
0: Oh man, yeah. John,
1: my man. So the, so yeah. The, wow, so it, But it, it did make it did make two hundred eighty five million in its initial run in the U S, uh, becoming the highest grossing film of the year. Uh, it would become the highest grossing comedy of all time. Until the Hangover Part 2 surpassed it 21 <laughs> years later. <laughs> uh, oh, that's great. That's awesome. It would also become the highest grossing Christmas movie of all time until that would fi- was finally surpassed by a 2018 film, Dr. Seuss is How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the animated version with what? Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. Weird, weird, weird. Yeah. Okay. The film would also receive some awards, love, surprisingly. Uh, it was nominated for Best Comedy Musical at the Golden Globes, and Culkin was nominated for Best Actor in a Musical Comedy Aww. at the Golden Globes. Uh, take what you will; it's the Golden Globes. Um, yeah. The 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 movie would also receive two. He was Oscar really good, though. Oh no, he's great. He's, he's great, fantastic. Yeah. we we probably should talk about him more, and we will. Like, I think yes, he's, I think it's an amazing. I think it's like it's it underrated by how good he is in this movie as a child actor. We're I about think to it's, talk
0: about what worked, Brandon. Yeah, yeah, it's so, fine. We'll get there.
1: The movie would also received two Oscar nominations, one for John Williams, the score and one for best original song at the end of the credits. Yeah, I know. I I watched I originally- this and I still don't remember the original song that well. That's yeah, the thing. Me either. Um, so yeah, the film success would re- result in a massive boom in the family film genre, inspiring studios to invest heavily And in then for the 1990s with the spec scripts of people just writing all these kind of original, uh, Family comedies started popping up around that time. The film would also receive four sequels is what it was. The yeah. most recent one coming out this Christmas.
0: Yeah. With like Ellie Kemper and whatever.
1: Yeah. Home Alone 2, Lost in New York being the biggest. Um, with the success of both Home Alones, Hughes would mostly stay in the family genre, making films like 101 Dalmatians, Flubber. I think he actually had signed a pretty exclusive deal with Disney. Um, not long after this. Um, Columbus would also become a go-to director for several studio comedies and family films, and more specifically, films with kids in the leads. There, and that would be Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets. Now, Home Alone still is a holiday favorite. Um, and with Disney Plus' recent sequel, it shows that some believe there's still money to be made. Um, and it still, I think, I think it still really continues to, I don't know if it continues to grow in popularity, but I think it just becomes a part of people's rotation more yeah. every, every Christmas. Um, especially with streaming, it's one that, that Disney's always pushing
0: yeah, for sure. um,
1: on their site. So, Amy, what worked about this movie? Well, we've already
0: kind of talked about it, but I think that since we've already touched on it a little bit, we should just go ahead and talk about Macaulay Culkin and how yeah. amazing he was. He was such a yeah. great, like, I mean, I mean, and he I don't know, it was just he was so good and he was able to carry this this movie and he was all by himself for most of the time and he just did yeah. a great job yeah
1: yeah he pulled a will smith i am legend for the most <laughs> of this movie <laughs>
0: he was like by himself the only person yeah. on the planet his and, own and planet. one
1: and one thing i talk about too that were i didn't mention favorite scenes but i mentioned here what worked i it's a separate thing i love just the old 1940 1940s gangster film he watches all the time it sucks because like He'll just basically be known for this movie because yeah. it was just so big. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: No, there's no. No, yeah, there, there's, no you're there's right. No, nothing against Macaulay. Know, like, his his brother Kieran has like kind of uh, taken the space of where he could have been with Succession and TV shows like that. I would I would argue that people also really liked him in My Girl. I mean, yeah, he's I good. In My, My girl. I mean,
0: yes, Home Home Alone definitely is going to be like that. But also like. I don't know. I just feel like there's a little more. I don't know. I think that works for like Macaulay Culkin. It worked for me. He worked for me.
1: No, I think, yeah, I think he's great. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the cast overall is great. I think. Yeah, definitely. I agree. With they, I, I think, I think even just the, the other kids that are there for most of the time. Yeah. I think Buzz, Buzz is great. Uh, yeah. I, I think I, I even like the moment where it's like him, Buzz and the sister talking she's Are you not worried about him? He's like, no, he goes, he goes, <laughs> he goes, or I was like one, he would do this B yeah. uh, he would do this and thirdly uh, he's just like yeah he's, he's so... like
0: no I don't care <laughs> he, yeah he he says and now it's coming back to bite him in the ass or whatever he yeah. says yeah he's not the
1: he's not the sharpest knife in the drawer but he has confidence that's <laughs> yeah, the thing Yeah,
0: that's, that's but true. yeah and
1: I said so I love I love Captain O'Hara and John Hurd together as parents Pesci and Stern um, I'll bring up this too. I think John Williams' score is amazing. Yes, I do too. As soon as I heard the sound, like
0: the you know that piano start like in the beginning, I was like, oh, you know, it's like yeah. that's classic. I I remembered it immediately.
1: Yeah, it's it's for it's it's you gotta think about it. it's like, again crazy where you like you have Joe Pesci crazy to see him in this movie, and it's crazy to see John Williams doing the score for like just this, this kids movie,
0: kids movie. Yeah.
1: Um, and then of course that sets up his relationship with columbus for harry potter right um which does later but yeah it's like i think the score is great i think it's very recognizable the opening score uh i do again i love i love the feel of the movie like the christmas like chicago production design feel of the whole thing yeah i do too the house i i like the house because it feels i i heard columbus talk about this of how like they tried to make it to where like it could feel like modern 20 years from now if possible. Right. And like either the furniture still, it still kind of feels a little old. It doesn't feel like. It
0: doesn't date itself the way that some of these movies tend to date themselves. Yes. Yeah. Yes. For sure. This is,
1: it's 30 years ago, but it, it, it doesn't fully feel in terms of like the way the house is kind of structured out. It's like, like, like I would love, I would like, he complains about the loft upstairs Like, I love that, like, the the, the attic that they have up there. I'm like, that'd be a cool room to have.
0: Well, and I liked, you know, I think Chris Columbus has this, there is a Chris Columbus, it's stylized in a way that you know it's Chris Columbus kind of making, directing this movie. And I really like that, um, I felt like I I liked the tone of this. Um, Mm -hmm. And I liked Chris Columbus as a director. And I think that worked for me, too. Mm
1: I think it's one of his better films, Columbus. I think I think yeah. for me, he can be kind of hit or miss. Um, but I think he, I give, no matter what, how I feel about some of his stuff, I think he actually has a really great eye for casting. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Most of the time. And then whoever, and his casting director, if it's Janet Hersh, Her, Hershenson, um, like, I think just he, like, I, I, I still, with Harry Potter. He works
0: really Harry well Potter, with kids. Like, he, he works, does. He does. He's just so good at that.
1: He. Could, hey, I read him, he said that, like, if you're working with kids, you have to learn how to kind of be a performer as well. Yeah, because sure. you're really acting. You're really kind of acting opposite them off camera, right? Right. To get the get the thing you're wanting, um, and and yeah, I, I, I to briefly talk about Potter with this, like, I think I still think it's just amazing how they were able to pick not just three kids, but the, like like uh, um. Uh, well, I'm blanking on his name. Draco Malfoy, um, Tom Felton. Draco- like, Tom Felton, yeah. thank you.
0: And Devin Murray and Matthew Lewis. And yeah. like, there's just a f- every single one of them. And then yeah. what's his name? Um, Alfie, who is on uh, How to Get Away with Murder. Uh, mm-hmm. Like he was Dean Thomas in, yeah. uh, in Harry Potter. It's just like these yeah. actors who are they're so good and they've gone on to do other like incredible stuff. Like it's amazing. I mean, with the exception, well, Rupert Grant actually is, he, he's, he's, he's actually busy. Doing, yeah,
1: he, he's doing, yeah, he's doing, he's, 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 he's still in Britain doing stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: I just, yeah. But I mean, but he, you know, but all of them, I mean, it's just pretty impressive. Um, And it's kind of like, like learning that fact that you were saying earlier about the time that, um that she took to cast all of the, um, mm-hmm. younger, like all of the kids, yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. And I think that that's so evident when you look at Potter. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. look at all the, like like. And I think part of what it is is, um, one of the things I think that works about Potter and I think works about this film is that kids, they're they have to be friends and they have to have good chemistry. That's super mm-hmm. important because yeah. kids have a tendency to be more. They're just. If they're in a space where they're uncomfortable, they're not Mm going to give you the performance that you want. And so you're not just casting, you know, good actors and you're not just casting the right kids. Even just like even Harry, you weren't just casting like Dan Radcliffe as Harry. You're also Mm -hmm. casting Emma Watson to Dan Radcliffe's Harry yeah, and Rupert Grant's Ron, and you have to think about—it's not just about like this kid's it's personality. Chemistry. It's the chemistry. Yeah. The chemistry yeah. matters so much. So
1: and that and that, bringing back this—that even goes with his his uh like like realizing oh yeah this guy who's who's Marv isn't working with Pesci like,
2: right and we're right, three exactly. days in like yeah we have
1: to we have to go get Daniel Stern back right like he yeah. I think he has a good eye for that like, even the movies I don't like that he directs. I think he he still has an eye for the cast he picks. Did anything not work about this movie?
0: Um, yes. Um, we've already kind of talked about this. Um, but I didn't love the like slapstick, physical comedy. Always, yeah. I think it gets excessive in the third act. Um, this movie is long, and I felt like it could have been shorter. Um,
1: oh two is even longer.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, by <laughs> two, the way, two, two. I have two's a to like Two hours to make. long. Um. Uh-huh. I tried to watch Home Alone 2 for the first time last year and I fell asleep Um, and I've still not seen it to this day. So I got nothing. Um, But yeah, like I feel very strongly that, um, yeah, this movie could have been shorter. And for me, the parts I would have cut were the slapstick and the uh, physical
1: comedy. So the entire third act of the movie. I
0: mean, not the entire third act. I just felt like like it got redundant at a certain point. Like, okay, he got hit in the head with paint cans. Okay, we set his, ho- his head on fire. Okay, I mean, we yeah. shot him in the face with a BB gun. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, you know, it's like... It's a lot. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. I agree. Like, It's just it's a, lot. a lot. Like, it's like, it's And I felt like it was just kind of the same, you know, and it almost... like, And this... Uh, maybe this is a hot take. I don't know. But I feel like because... Uh, John Hughes. uh, This was kind of, like we were talking about, it's a shift into children's movies. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, sometimes I see... you know, I've I've seen other children's movies do this before where they really dumb kids down and they're like, oh, you know, what's funny to kids getting people getting slapped in the face. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Or whatever. And it's mm-hmm. just like, yes, that's funny. But at a certain point, like, it's just like, you know, like, it's just I don't know. So to me, it felt like they were just doing it because they thought that that's like what kids would like laugh at, not because mm-hmm. it actually moved the story forward in any way. And so for me, it just went on for too long.
1: That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, I think the problem that I kind of have with this, it's like I feel like they they do a lot of, a lot of work, to make it to where they keep Kevin at home, and no one like goes to help him. It's like oh, there was a storm, so it knocked out the power. can and get the power came back on. Yeah, we can't get the phones working. Get the phones to work. It's a lot to, like, to make sure no one can contact him. It's like someone said a, it was a meme today where it was like this actually happened. It would just be, hey, mom. It was a text. Hey, mom. Yeah. <laughs> no one's home. What's going on? Oh, my God. We forgot you. Stay right there. We'll be we'll be back or, like, or yeah, call this yeah. person. Go to this person's house. The yeah, end. Yeah, like It's exactly. It's very much that. Um, I agree. And, and that, so it, they work really hard to, like, make you just, like, not realize, like, yeah, why can't anyone call? And it's yeah. like, oh, because the storm. Yeah, but all the Christmas, all the Christmas lights still work, but the storm
0: also, can't come. Also, I I don't love. <sighs> I'm, I'm, this is where I'm You're gonna have to be you careful. Know,
1: you, you don't love John Candy?
0: <laughs> no, I love John Candy. Oh my god, Plane, Trains, and Automobiles. You know this is like my favorite movie ever. I I'm,
1: I'm, I'm in this movie. I'm in oh this
0: movie. yes, but that's not what I was gonna say. But we can talk about that if you want to. Yeah, I I just felt like. Um, And knowing kind of, like, the circumstances in which John Candy came to be a part of this, it kind of makes a little bit more sense now. But it felt like it was just like, okay, we need something to hold her up. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, like, and so I don't, I I just felt like it was, you know. Um, One thing I will say, and I don't know if I liked this or didn't like this, but I do think that John Hughes was relying on some of the same things that he had used in past movies that he just kind of, like, chopped up and, and put into Home Alone a little bit. Yeah, I know. I, it's a, maybe you're looking really scary. Well, I'm trying. Right now. I'm trying to
1: think what part. What part like, you're talking
0: okay, about? Okay, so exa- for example. Uh, Well, Uh breaking the fourth wall, like we already talked about how that was similar to Ferris Bueller. So like some of the same like things, devices that John Hughes uses in, and that's, I mean, and that's typical for any writer, right? Like that's just your style or your voice or whatever. It's tropes. tropes. You know what I mean? And that's okay to some degree. And I don't necessarily, and that's what I'm saying. I don't know if it didn't work or it did work. I'm not really sure. I just, I think it's important to point it out. But the Mm -hmm. one thing that I did think is when she is, um, when Kate is talking to the woman in the airport and um mm-hmm. the the woman and she's mad and she's like anything please just get me home or whatever it was yeah. like almost shot for shot the steve martin like in planes trains and automobiles when he's like f yeah, this yeah. like give me an effing car right effing now which mm. is one of the funniest scenes i've i love that scene <laughs> much but you know like but i felt like it was like it was kind of the same you know it had a different tone because obviously kate was in a different situation but i just thought there was some of that that's like you know and even the like running through the airport you know kind of crazy like we like that like that was I, th- because I love playing trains, and automobiles, this mm-hmm. felt very much, and that's kind of what made me remember earlier. I said uh, that this is like John Hughes for kids. That's kind of what made me feel that way. Yeah, is because yeah, yeah. I love playing trains, and automobiles, and I kind of watching Home Alone. And I'm kind of like, is this planes, trains, and automobiles a little bit for kids? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, with a different, you know, obviously, but um, yeah. yeah I mean,
1: I, I think I think what's Hughes too. I mean, I I I, I get your point because I think. I, don't think he's, I think now he's still in the same realm of what he was before just for kids. But I think what I don't like is later when he just like fully, just like I'm going to make kids movies and it just feels like ripoffs of, home. Uh, it just feels like things taken from Home Alone, Home Alone 2. Right, yeah, um, exactly.
0: And then Home Alone getting made, it's like the same movie, Home Alone 2, 3, 4, 5, whatever. It's like the yeah, Alone, same. Yeah, Home Alone it's yeah, home the the 2
1: too? You know. Yeah, Home Alone 2 is just like, I think he said I'm just going to make like the same movie, but set in New York is kind of the thing. And and that's because he didn't have a lot of hits after Home Alone, so I gotta right. make something that's gonna hit and I make Home Alone too. Well and, and and, again, too,
0: I I you, oh I was gonna say you could make an argument that like um, one hundred and one Dalmatians is a similar like you know what I mean? Like you've got the horse and Jasper is basically Marvin Harry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's that like slap like that physical comedy where they're getting, you know, kicked in the butt by a, a horse and you know, like yeah, Glenn Close is you know, going face foot. Face forward into a thing of molasses or whatever like so i think that you know like I, I think it starts it's almost like it doesn't become a problem until after home alone i'm just starting to see it mm-hmm. in home alone if that makes any sense it's like it's becoming formulaic
1: yeah yeah i, yeah, I think I, I think home alone the, is the is the kind of one of the last ones that he does not the last one, but one of the last ones he does where it feels relatable yeah and that's why i think right what does work um i think that's the i think when it gets later i think it's just it's it's the it becomes like, oh, you guys like the falling down. That's what I'm going to do type thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think it misses, the, I think it misses the kind of the core of what he's doing in home alone. All right. Well, let's, let's go to the, uh, move on to alternate universe cast actors who were up for the roles or audition for the roles, but didn't get it. Um, So someone who auditioned for a Santa Claus uh, was Chris Farley <laughs> for that scene. Um, Farley, apparently because Columbus knew Farley, they actually went to church together.
0: I, At one point, <laughs> oh, okay. Chris
1: Columbus and Chris Farley, but he knew Farley was a, was a partier and the, and, and it was, it was, I think it was, uh, either Sunday or Monday. It was, it was 8 a.m. Audition time. And he's like, Farley walks in and I can tell like he has not slept since the <laughs> night before cause he was out partying and he just didn't, he didn't impress Columbus. Wow. Um, he didn't cast him. He goes, he, 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 he would have been good probably, but he just, we, it, he, he, uh, he didn't work out um the role of uncle frank was written for kelsey grammar originally really uh, but grammar couldn't do, didn't do it um and it went to yeah to jerry uh bayman uh chicago native john mulaney was asked to audition for kevin but his parents declined
0: <gasps> really yeah <laughs> that's hilarious they, that's great you
1: know, uh john lovitz was offered the role of harry that went to pesci but john lovitz turned it down interesting um robert de niro was also offered the role of harry and he turned it down <laughs> i'm and not so, surprised by that so they're just like let's go who's who's he acting like with all next? the He's gangster like like yeah. literally
0: yeah john lovitz
1: not but john lovitz is the more comedic guy but like yeah it's like de niro is like who who did de niro work with on raging bull who's he doing yeah. right now oh let's go with pesci okay film facts i have a few of these uh there is a few screens of It's a Wonderful Life, as you see in the movie that yes. he's watching. Because uh, I think, Tom, as Thomas and I talked about, how with the cable departments, you could see It's a Wonderful Life was constantly uh, on television at this point in time around the holidays so it made sense that was there
0: and also in french
1: there's that there yeah he, but he's all he's watching it i think at home yeah and they're also watching it wait was he France. watching
0: it's a wonderful life in at home or was he watching i'm pretty miracle sure on 34th street
1: he might have been doing both uh, they show a lot of yeah, them maybe do. it was just that one yeah because I, I know i know in home alone 2 it's in spanish when they're watching it yeah um because i
0: remembered it being in french when they're in but i in think french. Yeah. i thought it was miracle on 34th street but maybe it's a one
1: but it could be both because he's watching he's watching tv a lot uh yeah yeah and that and and that leads me into this next one when he's watching angels with filthy souls um the parody of angels with dirty faces um they shot that the film within the film that he watches uh and one day it was the final test day prior to actual start of Prince photography uh and they cast kind of chicago actors local chicago actors in the roles to create the illusion that the film was an authentic 1940s gangster film they actually shot the film in black and white and his office only featured props from that era is what it was so for the longest time i I mean people i know thought it was a real film i
0: definitely thought it was a real film and then i remember when seth rogan was like really upset like last year or something he was like wait this is not a real film and everybody was like lost their minds
1: To go with John Williams, the music for the film was to be done by Bruce Broughton, uh, because he had worked with Columbus on Young Sherlock Holmes. Columbus had written it, and he liked Broughton's score on that one. He wanted to bring him back to work on it, but Broughton had to back out of the production because of a tight deadline with Rescuers Down Under, um, so he could (laughs) not do the score. Columbus caught up his good buddy, Steven Spielberg, um, because they had worked several times together, and Spielberg got him in touch with John Williams uh john williams saw the film and loved it and agreed to do the score wow so on to story questions i i I just want to know like i I know it's the holiday season and i I don't want to judge labor force anyway but how long does it take to fix the phone lines in this area (sighs) yeah
0: my god
1: in this this specific (laughs) area of chicago when everything else seems to be working yeah Like, like why uh yeah it's just weird it's like cause it, like it was all the big, linemen taking off like what's yeah, going on it, yeah it wasn't a big storm no like it's not a big storm it was it's not. just like you, you get to fix that in a few hours I think and I, granted I was not alive at this point in time and if I was I was alive early 90s like I don't know how the phone servers worked with this how long it took them but I feel like it shouldn't have taken them like days
0: yeah it did it took them like almost a week I, no not a week I, like well, three I, days I, right I, I, it's like if, yeah, it takes I, me over three was, days
1: that's their question. Too, is like, how long does this this movie take place? How yeah? How many days is I'm it? Trying to can't... Because realistically, like that, it took two or three days for her to get back. It took. Pa- I don't think they... Here's the question. Though. I don't think they would have landed on the plane. I think once that door was shut, they were done. Oh like, yeah, I, I've yeah. I've never. S- I, I was like, they would not let them on, and they're just like, take whatever okay, seats okay. available. Hold on, but we also grew up in a post nine eleven world, so
0: I don't really know. I mean, what True. was the nineties like? That's you know fair. what I mean? So that's like, fair. That's fair. Um, that's a fair point.
1: Yeah, like that's a fair point because because you could still like just kind of like like if like at that point in time, if I was like coming to pick you up from the airport, I could literally go to that gate right, right. and pick you up yeah. there. And See, now that is not the case. And that's
0: like the the only other question I had is, um, would Kate have really gotten into a car with Gus? I don't know. <laughs> like I'm I, like don't know. I don't know if I, I would. Like I don't know. Like weren't there were no cars or taxis it, or rentals? You know what I mean? I mean,
1: you do what you gotta do. I guess like so. to go get go, go get your son. Like I get it. Uh, I mean it's weird that it's like that she would also like it's like and and their their van is like just a storage truck that they're sitting in the back yeah. of basically. Yeah. Um yeah, I would I would have some worries. Yeah. <laughs> I would have some worries. Yeah. Um I'm surprised she doesn't, but that's that's because she's a good mom, I guess is what it is. Um <laughs> or she really wants to make up for what she did. I don't um, know. yeah. So yeah. Moving on to awards. The Beatrice Strait Award, actor action limit scenes that kills it.
0: I personally thought that Robert's Blossom. I don't know if he. I mean, I guess he's more of a supporting character, really. No, no he's, I, I, would,
1: I would, I would count him as be a straight.
0: You would. Okay. Well, he, but he's named. He has a pretty significant. I don't know. Okay. So I just wasn't sure. But if you, if you count him, yeah, then, he's
1: only in like three scenes.
0: Okay. Then, he has,
1: he has, he has one speaking part, like then speaking then scene. Robert's yeah.
0: Blossom. He was phenomenal, and I think he definitely earned an award yeah. in this one. I
1: think he's great. I, I agree. I think, I think for the amount of time. Even even though the, the times doesn't speak, he's very memorable in terms of his look. Yeah, and yeah. They, they did a good job of like making him like that guy who could have been a serial killer, but was it turns into like a, <laughs> a, a sweet older man who like wished he was with his family for Christmas. Any x Factor awards? Supporting actor, actress actresses, the most memorable? Joe Pesci. Yeah, I think it's Joe Pesci.
0: I I. It sounds like he was kind of a jerk on this set, but I, I mean. <laughs> In the past I've given this award to
1: terrible people. So I've heard yeah I've heard I've heard I've heard way more stories on set. So Yeah, meet uh, yes not, also not, yes. Okay. Not to me, not to make this not 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 bad but yeah. Yeah. Like and again I I I don't know um allegedly like who, Yeah, I I don't, I don't know, know. I don't know fully what happened. Like, I don't know fully what happened. It just, it sounds like he really wanted to make his golf time. Like, that's that's his tea time. That's that's a man who loves golf. That's really what it is. But I think, I think for like for him, just like I'm just gonna do this for whatever, and like in the same year he. In the same year, he does Goodfellas. I just find that amazing.
0: I just really like that he committed, and I think he was really funny, and he had great chemistry with with everyone he shared a scene with, really. I mean, he I
1: he's really great, and he sold it. I like the part when he shows up at the beginning, when he's, when he's portraying the cop, and he's trying yeah. to talk to like, everyone. Yeah. I think it's a great scene. I love um, that. Yeah. So, yeah. No, yeah. Pesci makes sense. I mean, Annie Potts' X-Factor Award used to be called the Joe Pesci X-Factor Award for a reason. Did it really? It was, yeah. But we'd, we we give it to Annie Potts. So Annie Potts X Factor award goes Joe Pesci. All right, the Gene Hackman MVP award person who carries the movie, director, actor, etc.
0: Uh, Macaulay Culkin.
1: Yeah. I'll go Culkin.
0: Culkin, all the way. Yeah. Kid did great.
1: Yeah, also, I, I
0: think, weirdly, he's like super way older than me, but in my brain, he is still eight years old. Sure no, is. he's just eight years old, like yeah. forever. So I'm like, the kid did great. He's like literally 30 yeah. something years old. and He's 41. 40 something. Oh my God. Yeah, you're right. 40 something. <laughs> I'm 30. That was scary a little bit. But yeah, yeah. I think Macaulay uh, Culkin, definitely.
1: I think so too. I I <laughs> I think, like, I think, I think Hughes and Columbus, are, you can say, but I think if you, I think if you don't have Culkin in that role, like you could have a bad act, a bad yeah, kid actor absolutely. in that role, and the movie, and the movie just would, does would not it, work. It,
0: that is exactly how I felt. Um yeah. that's exactly how I felt. I think that you know, yes, it's well directed and it's well written for sure, but I think without a strong actor in that role, it would have failed. So, yeah.
1: All right, final questions. Uh, recast it if it was remake day, which kind of was yeah um who who would you cast
0: so um i i really had a the hardest time i had was kevin only because like i don't really know a ton of like kid actors like i don't know know kid
1: actors Yeah, yeah
0: i knew so the one that i would say um i really like elias harger from fuller house which don't judge me but i totally watched fuller house um but he was he was so good in it. He was so like funny and he, I feel like he could have helped that, but he's like 14 now. So I don't, I don't know. Um, but I don't, well, yeah, I don't know any kids, but he was, um, he has this kind of like, uh, confidence that Kevin has. Um, and I think he could really pull that off.
1: And the guy, the guy I actually had in this recent one, I actually like, I like that kid and stuff, but the new one, what's his name? Who is it? Archie Yates is the kid.
0: Okay, Um, what's he been in?
1: Yeah. He's been in JoJo Rabbit. I think he was great in JoJo Rabbit. Oh my it's god!
0: Like, I totally so like, love him. Yay! Yes. So like I
1: I I think he's actually perfect casting for it. It's just yeah, the movie's problem. I don't know how the movie is. Um, I gotta
0: say though, okay, so I also had um on my list, actually, I had the, <laughs> the kids from Jojo Rabbit, but I thought they
1: were older. He's twelve. He's twelve. So I, he he's he's Oh, so in he there. was
0: younger than uh Roman Griffin yes. Davis.
1: Yes. Who played? Yes, he was.
0: Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay, then yeah, that's so great. He's perfect. I thought like we might.
1: I thought like we might just go with the same exact cast that they have. I mean, I like Ellie Kemper. I like Rob Delaney. Um, but I almost like want to like. No, I.
0: I want to. I want to find a, a Joe
1: Pe- I want to find a Joe Pesci type, is the thing.
0: Um, I didn't go with a like exactly like a Joe Pesci type for Harry, but I. I actually think you I don't know maybe. Um, I said Daniel Craig for Harry.
1: <laughs> I'm found I liked I think Daniel Craig great. I think Craig's Daniel Craig would
0: be so great. He's so funny.
1: I think he's funny, yeah.
0: Um, but he's also like kind of scary and he, not scary, but he could be intimidating to a kid. You know what I mean? Like Daniel Craig. Yeah, I I relate to Daniel Craig. Sam Rockwell
1: came to mind for me as well. Oh, I love uh, Sam
0: Rockwell. He's underrated. I love Sam Rockwell. I
1: would I would say he's getting properly rated. I think after the Oscar oh. win, I think oh yeah, okay, I think, all right, fair I think, enough. I think yeah. for a while, Sam Sam Rockwell was like the best kept secret in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and now everyone kind of is getting their... To know him yeah so i i i like craig or, or rockwell what about marv what about marv i have chris o'dowd that's fair okay i'll keep that what what about what about um kate kate um so i i have emily blunt okay yeah we're, we're definitely going prestige on this i can tell
0: yeah um. oh yeah well emily <laughs> blunt so the reason i chose emily blunt for kate is because of the scene where um, Catherine O'Hara as Kate switches from comedy to like gut wrenching emotional, where she's like, she's like, you know, the Rolex, and then she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I, I could hear Emily Blunt saying the like from one mother to another, please or whatever. Yeah, I heard. I was like, I, I can see Emily Blunt saying that, so that's why okay. I went with her. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take yeah. the cast.
1: Daniel Craig or lots uh, of.
0: Uh, uh, Eng- not English, but lots of because uh, Chris O'Dowd is Irish, but like um,
1: European, European actors, European actors, yeah. That's most. That's mostly today, anyway. Does this film fit with any other genres?
0: I think we kind of touched on this earlier, but I do kind of think it could pass as a coming of age film.
1: It could, I yeah. think it could, yeah. yeah I think I mean, he overcomes his fear of of the basement. He stands up for himself against the robbers. He he goes from being like, I mean, it's a, a, another funny thing. It's like his progression of like. From eating just like junk food, ice cream to like, junk food. Yeah. I mean, he's still eating junk food, but like, go from like eating at, at the at the at, at the, the chair, chair like chair, watching TV, yeah. to by the end like the night, at, at, the, you know, at yeah. the dinner table and everything. And he you know, says he, the he, blessing he, and everything. He evolves. I he's actually, I also
0: really loved uh, one more visual way that they showed us Kevin's progression, which was the aftershave which I loved like at first. He, I mean, that's, that's the classic. It, he, yeah. But he uses it twice, which I think is funny. So the yeah. first time he does it and he makes the frick crazy face, he doesn't know that it's going to happen. So it's like, oh, I can't believe, you know, he didn't know because he's never used it before and he's like doing it. And then the yep. second time he knows it's coming, but he does it anyways, because that's what being an adult is about knowing. Knowing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that life sucks but you gotta push through you know yeah push through it so i
0: like that that. yeah
1: um okay and then finally how does this film fit with the christmas genre
0: i definitely think goodwill towards men uh introspection the christmas Mm -hmm. setting um obviously connects very closely to a christmas carol um so i think in every way this is a christmas movie for sure or
1: realizing who you want to be with on christmas absolutely and it's all present in this one yes well, Amy, I think that's it and Home Alone. Yeah. Um, that's all we have to say wow. about that. And that's uh, that. <laughs> good times. Uh, and so for next week, our last episode of our Christmas our Christmas series, also the last episode of 2021, we're doing the movie called The Apartment, directed by Billy Wilder from 1960. It's a little bit of a, almost fits in the Christmas adjacent in a way, but we want to do something because it's, the, it's coming out after Christmas and Apartment is like a Christmas slash New Year's Eve, maybe more of a New Year's Eve movie so it gets you in for the new year i think it still kind of covers some of the stuff we've talked about this month so get ready for that at streaming on canopy and tubi i would suggest running or going on canopy if you have that it's a free service so yeah but that's all i have for in this episode if you're a fan of the show or a new listener make sure you subscribe to the nation podcast so you can stay up to date on all of our new episodes you can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, spotify google podcast stitcher or wherever your podcast and if you haven't already make sure you rise us a review on whatever platform you listen to the show on these reviews kind of help us gain more traction help people we'll see us uh we like hearing what you have to say about us it helps improve the show but also mainly helps us find a a larger audience so please do that if you can that's what we're asking this holiday season that's our gift (laughs) we're asking for um and finally don't forget to like us and follow us on facebook twitter instagram tiktok all that jazz amy thank you again for joining me of course it was great thank you for having me and for sure happy holidays happy holidays and thank you all for listening hope you listen to more episodes soon bye